Welcome to episode 74 of George's Random Astronomical Object. Every episode, I run a random number generator to select random astronomical coordinates in the sky, and I then search for an astronomical object near those coordinates and talk about what makes the object so interesting to astronomers. So, I will now run the random number generator. And the random number generator has activated its Harryhausen module, which means that the coordinates from this episode have been handed to me by a small stop-motion animated skeleton. The coordinates for this episode are 6 hours, 23 minutes, 57.1 seconds for ascension, and negative 52 degrees, 41 minutes, 44 seconds declination. These coordinates point to the star Canopus. Canopus, or Alpha Carinae, is the second brightest star in the night sky. It has a magnitude of negative 0.7. However, a lot of people have probably never seen Canopus before. And that is because it is located very far south. It's too far south to be seen for most of Europe, the northern half of Asia, Canada, or the northern two-thirds of the United States. Even in some places like northern Africa or the southern part of the United States, if you want to see Canopus, you would need a view of the southern horizon that is clear of any obstructions whatsoever, like trees, or buildings, or small hills or even large clumps of grass. On the other hand, if you're in the tropics or the southern hemisphere in places like sub-Saharan Africa, South Asia, Australia, New Zealand, or South America, you've probably seen the star before. It's even one of the stars featured on the globe on the flag for Brazil. Canopus is located in the constellation Carina, which is also known as the keel, as in the bottom ridgeline of a boat. Along with Puppis and Vela, Carina was once part of an ancient mega-constellation called Argo Navis. This represented the mythological ship that the Greek hero Jason used to fetch the Golden Fleece, although the constellation also appears as a ship in other Middle Eastern and North African myths, as well as even in ancient Hindu stories. Even though Canopus itself is extremely difficult to see from Greece, some Greek astronomers were aware of the star possibly because some of them liked vacation in more southern locations like Egypt, and possibly because some of them enjoyed places like Egypt so much that they decided to permanently relocate to those locations. The star's name may have originated from a story about the Trojan Wars. The Greek king Menelaus was supposedly returning to Greece with Helen when his fleet was blown off course and landed in Egypt. Given that Troy was probably in modern-day western Turkey, this seems like it would have been extremely off course. Anyway, the fleet landed in Egypt, and while the crew were on land, one of the men named Canopus was bitten by a snake and died. Helen then killed the snake, and she and Menelaus buried Canopus at a location near modern-day Alexandria. A town was later built around this area and named after Canopus. If you don't believe that story for the origin of the name Canopus, the alternative explanation is that the name might have originated from the ancient Egyptian name for the star Kahinub, 
which translates into English as Golden Earth, and we have referred to the color of the star as it appears near the southern horizon as seen from Egypt. If you look at the Wikipedia page on Canopus, or do a Google search on the star, you can see that just about any other culture or civilization that either lived in or visited the tropics could see the star and had a name for it. I won't try to repeat everything listed on these web pages, but I thought I would mention a few highlights. First of all, the Arabic name is Suhail, although the origin of that name is not really clear. Given how many of the bright stars in the night sky have Arabic names, it's a little surprising that the name Suhail did not stick. Indian astronomers named it after Agastya, who was a sage who founded a tradition of sudden Indian mysticism and who, according to legend, lived for 4,000 years. In China, the star name also referred to an old man, and could be called either Lao Ren, Old Man, or Nanji Lao Ren, Old Man of the South Pole, and it was also associated with Xiao Jing, the Chinese god of longevity. In Hawaii, the star was called Ke Ali'i Okono Ikaleva, or the Chief of the Southern Heavens, and Hawaiian navigators used a line drawn from Mirzam, which is the second brightest star in the constellation Canis Major, to Canopus to determine which direction is south. So that covers what makes Canopus interesting from a historical standpoint, but it is also an interesting object scientifically. At a distance of 309 light years or 95 parsecs, it is the closest massive yellow supergiant to Earth. Yellow supergiants like Canopus are stars several times the mass of the Sun that are passing through a brief phase in their evolution. Before these stars had become yellow supergiants, they would have started out as smaller, hotter stars that are blue or white in color and that fuse hydrogen and helium in their cores like the Sun. When these stars' cores filled up with helium, they would have expanded to become red supergiants, with hydrogen continuing to fuse into helium and shells around the stars' cores. Later, these stars' cores would start fusing helium into carbon, and when the cores filled up with carbon, they would create oxygen, neon, or magnesium in their cores, with helium fusing into carbon in shells around that. While these stars are at the red supergiant stage in their evolution, they might go through a phase where their outer gas layers warm up a little and they change from a red color to a yellow color. When this happens, the stars become yellow supergiants, and Canopus is the best example of the star currently in this stage. After a short period of time, though, the stars will transform back into red supergiants. Because Canopus is so close to Earth, it is the best object for astronomers to look at to learn about the yellow supergiant phase in stellar evolution. However, Canopus's close proximity is a good news, bad news type of thing. First, the bad news. The star is so bright that it will blind many of the detectors that astronomers normally use when looking at astronomical objects more generally. This would be like taking your everyday camera or smartphone and pointing it at the sun, but much worse. The good news is that it's possible to perform observations of Canopus that aren't feasible with most other stars because they're too faint. Two specific types of observations stood out to me. First of all, the star has been a good target for extreme spectroscopy observations. Spectroscopy involves creating spectra, or rainbows, of starlight. However, this also involves spreading out the starlight, so most spectra will look relatively faint compared to the images of those stars. Since Canopus is extremely bright, making a bright spectrum is not much of a problem. 
Various elements and compounds in stars' air gas layers will absorb light at very specific wavelengths, creating what look like dark lines in these rainbow-like spectra. And astronomers often search for these dark lines to identify which elements are present within stars. In observations of most stars, astronomers can often find a few relatively basic elements like hydrogen, helium, nitrogen, oxygen, sodium, calcium, and iron, as well as some basic compounds like titanium oxide. But finding other things can be harder. In Canopus, astronomers have been able to find over 30 elements, including weird stuff like strontium, yttrium, latinum, cerium, praseodymium, neodymium, samarium, europium, gadolinium, dysprosium, erbium, thulium, and hafnium. While this sounds like part of a fun competition where some astronomers are trying to find elements in Canopus that their colleagues in the chemistry department can't find in their stockroom, these observations actually have a very practical application and that is to test whether the relative proportion of elements found in the sun's outer gas layers are the same as the elements found in other stars' outer gas layers. In the case of Canopus, at least, it does look chemically very similar to the sun. If Canopus had different amounts of these elements, that would have implied that the sun and Canopus formed out of nebulae with different chemical compositions, and that would have brought up some rather complex questions about the origin of the sun or Canopus or both stars. But, since this is not the case, we don't need to worry about it. The other unusual thing that astronomers can do specifically with Canopus is measure its diameter. This might sound relatively trivial, but the distances between stars are really large compared to the diameters of stars. So even when the most advanced telescopes look at most individual stars, the stars normally seem like infinitesimally small points of light. However, astronomers were actually able to measure the diameter of Canopus by applying advanced techniques to use the four 1.8-meter auxiliary telescopes at the Very Large Telescope site as a single really wide telescope. They determined that the star has a width of about 100 million kilometers, or about 70 times the width of the Sun. This might sound really large and therefore seem easy to measure, but... Measuring the diameter of Canopus is actually equivalent to measuring the width of a human hair from a distance of about a couple of kilometers. This might sound like a fun technical achievement, but this measurement is actually very important for accurately modeling the evolution of yellow supergiants like Canopus. You can expect astronomers to continue to try to image Canopus in even more detail in the future. So that's why both amateur and professional astronomers spend a lot of time looking at Canopus. And the location on the Earth's surface corresponding to the position of Canopus in the night sky is slightly less than 1,500 kilometers east of Heard Island in the Indian Ocean. This is another one of those remote ocean locations that is completely avoided by just about everyone. I could refer back to the myth of King Menelaus being blown wildly off course again and somehow ending up in this area of the Indian Ocean, but that just seems like too much of a stretch. The website for this podcast is www.randomastronomicalobject.com. You can visit the website to download episodes of the show, read information about the astronomical objects, view images of those astronomical objects, look up additional reference information, and send me random feedback. You can also find this podcast on Facebook and on Twitter. The audio was recorded and edited by George Bendo.
The music is Immersion by Sasha Endy at www.sasha-endy.de and the sound effects are from the Freesound Project at www.freesound.org. Thanks for listening. 